The epistle for this 17th Sunday after Pentecost is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Brethren, I, a prisoner in the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation in which you are called, with all humility and mildness, with patience, supporting one another in charity, careful to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, one body and one spirit, as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in us all, who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew. At that time, the Pharisees came to Jesus, and one of them, a doctor of the law, asked him, tempting him, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus says to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul and with thy whole mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like to this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. And the Pharisees being gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? They say to him, David's. He says to them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither dared any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear faithful, time and again throughout his epistles, St. Paul is exhorting his Christian communities to the practice of the virtue of charity. Because after all, as our Lord says in today's Gospels, it is the whole of the law. And today, his exhortation is particularly moving. Uh, St. Paul was always one who knew how to make use of circumstances as leverage in order to promote his message. And in this case, He's in a situation where he's been in, in prison unjustly. He doesn't know when he's going to get out. He doesn't even know if he's going to survive this ordeal. He might be put to death. He might be condemned and put to death. And it's from that perspective that he makes this exhortation to the Ephesians. I, a prisoner in the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation to which you have been called. What vocation is he talking about? He's definitely not talking about a priestly vocation. He's talking about the vocation uh, to the mystical body of Christ, to be a member of the mystical body, to be a Catholic, incorporated into Christ. It is the call to be united with believers throughout the ages, this incredible reality that we, we believe as Catholics, that when we have the life of Christ dwelling within us, we are not only connected with our fellow Catholics who are in the state of grace, but we are even connected with people who have already died, who have died perhaps a thousand years ago. The, the members of heaven, the church triumphant, the saints in heaven, we are connected to them through the life of Christ. Those souls who are in purgatory, who have died and gone before us, we are connected with them as well because we share something in common with them. This bond that unites us all 
and that is the love of Christ, the bond of charity. Charity is the glue that binds together all the members of Christ. And this is a very wonderful thing. It is our calling, says St. Paul, to live the life that corresponds to having that love. The love of Christ dwells in our hearts. Those who possess that love are connected together, and they have to walk according to that reality. This is what marks our vocation in Christ. It determines how we should walk. We must walk in a way that corresponds to our membership in that one body. Walk worthy of the vocation in which you are called, says St. Paul, with humility and mildness, with patience, supporting one another in charity, careful to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, one body and one spirit, as you are called in one hope of your calling. This is our glorious vocation as Catholics to have this intimate connection with one another through the life of Christ dwelling in our hearts. Christ is given to us as Catholics. And by him being given to us, we are connected together. We are meant to have this unity of spirit on this earth working for the promotion of the kingdom of God. And then afterwards, we attain this share of heavenly bliss forever and ever together as family members of the mystical body of Christ. But in practice, as you know, it's, we find it so hard to live up to this charity to which we are called. And I mean, traditional Catholics are, are, are not known. Um, they're known for many things, but one of them is not to excel in charity. And today, I, I would just like to draw attention to one major obstacle to us living up to our vocation in Catholics, and that is the sin of contention. If you recall a few weeks ago, when, when we had St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians, he listed 16 what he called sins of the flesh. And I, and I talked about the sins of impurity and how our Lord brought virginity to the world as a state to conquer sins of the flesh. But one of the sins, besides impurity, that he mentioned as a sin of the flesh was the sin of contention. Contention is, is an old word, and it means to be at odds with someone else in your words. To be in discord against another is to oppose them with your will. To be in strife with another is to oppose them by physical violence. And to be in contention is to be against them in your words. To be argumentative. Now, St. Thomas, St. Thomas Aquinas, he asked whether it's a mortal sin to be contentious. And of course, to be argumentative is not at all the same sort of sin as, as being impure. Being impure, by definition, is a mortal sin in, in every context. If you're willfully being impure, you're committing a, a mortal sin. But being argumentative is not like that. We have to make much more careful distinctions. There are times when being argumentative is not only not sinful, it's virtuous. I mean, isn't our Lord arguing today in the gospel? Don't, don't we find our Lord quite often arguing with the Pharisees? And of course, our, our Lord was sinless. So it's, it's not wrong to argue in every situation. It's only wrong in certain situations. What are those situations? Well, St. Thomas says it depends upon the purpose 
for which you're arguing, why are you arguing, and the manner in which you are arguing. With regards to the purpose, he says, you must be arguing for the sake of the truth and not for the sake of falsehood. You must not be trying to promote something that you know to be erroneous. And he says, if, you, if you're doing that, and you're doing it in an, a moderate way, it can be a mortal sin. You're just really arguing with someone in order to promote error. So you have to argue for the truth. And God willing, I, I mean, I think most of us, when, when we get into an argument, because let's face it, we, we all get into arguments from time to time, most of us are not thinking that what we're arguing for is, is something that's false, something erroneous. I, I certainly hope not. Um, and I, as I say, I suspect that there might be a few arguments amongst us in the course of the week. I, I would hope that we would be able to put some sort of number on, on those arguments, um, hopefully not so many that we don't even know how many they are. Um, and, and if I asked you whether you were arguing for what you thought was true or not, you would, you would say, well, Father, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't arguing for, for the sake of something I thought was just completely false. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But it, though the argument, uh, the purpose of our arguments is, is typically not, not bad, what, what's typically problematic is the way in which we argue. We're too angry when we're arguing. We're, we're too passionate. We're too emotional. We're immoderate. We're, we exaggerate in our words. We use expressions that are hateful and harmful. We use our tongue as an instrument to inflict injury on another. Quickly, the argument goes beyond the mere boundaries of trying to prove a point or express our own opinion to an attempt to injure the other person, to get something over on them. And this is wrong. To argue moderately is, is not often a mortal sin, but, but it is a venial sin. And if we habitually indulge in this sort of argumentation, very quickly, our whole spirit in argument devolves. And the, the truth slowly but surely slips away. And then we start falling into mortal sins in our argumentation. But something I really want to ask, first of all, is, is why do we do this at all? Why do we find it so easy to go overboard in our arguments and yet we still keep arguing? Time and again, through the course of our life, we've fallen into this problem of being excessive in our argumentation and we've seen the damage that it does to our loved ones, to our relationships. We quickly start snapping at our spouse, at our coworkers, or our children. We have experienced how destructive our words can be, how people are hurt when in the heat of the moment we let fly these words that are not at all appropriate and are very injurious. How is it that year after year this happens and long after we realize what a bad habit it is, we just keep doing it? Why don't we take the effort to stop? St. Thomas answers these questions in one word. It's vainglory. We desire too much to win an argument. We desire too much the satisfaction that comes from saying, I was right, 
and you were wrong. My opinion was the right opinion, and your opinion was not the right opinion, and I proved it to you. We have this overweening love for our own ego. We stubbornly cling to our own opinion just because it's ours, even when we're presented evidence that goes against it. Sometimes we're shown that we're mistaken, and we will not admit that we are wrong. Instead, we just raise our voice as if that will substitute for logical argumentation. Perhaps shouting the other one down will prove that we are right. And as I say, when, when we argue immoderately in this way, we very soon leave aside the purpose of attaining the truth in order to strive for a different purpose, usually one of two purposes. Either we want to have that victory over the other to be able to say, I was right, you were wrong. Or we're using our words as a means to tear down the other person. We want to reduce them in the eyes of, of others. Isn't that what the Pharisees are doing today? They're not interested in the truth. They hate our Lord Jesus Christ. And what are they going to do? They're going to try to embarrass him. The gospel says that the lawyer is tempting our Lord. He already knows the answer. He's not asking so that he can attain the truth, so that he can be a disciple at the feet of the master. He's asking in order to set a trap so that he can go, then go on the basis of our Lord's answers and say, no, you're wrong. You've got it wrong. I've got it right. Therefore, you people over here, you shouldn't follow him. He's not trustworthy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. This is, as you know, I mean, just part and parcel of, of the, the daily intake that we get from, from the mass media. It, it, this is what turns us off with, with the mass media, hopefully. And it's on both sides. It's on both political sides. They're not really interested in establishing facts for people, most of the case. Um, what they're generally interested in is tearing down the other side. And this is not the right way to argue. So the contentious person is clinging to a very precious thing, his own glory. And he has an instrument to promote that glory, which is his own opinion. I've got something that you don't have. I've got my opinion. It's different from your opinion. And I'm going to hold that up there. I'm going to say, this is fantastic. This opinion is better than what you've got. And when I've proven that to you, what does that show you? That I'm better than you are. I'm a better person than you are. And I can walk away from the argument and I can say, yeah, yeah, I showed them. I showed them. You know, sometimes I've, I've encountered people who, they, they wait to see what your opinion is just so they can contradict you. They, that's like what they love to do. They're just arguing for the sake of, of arguing. I was like, hey, it's a really nice day outside. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's just, it's a little hot. It's a little hot. I'm like, well, Check out that blue sky. I'm like, well, it's not, it's not really blue. It's kind of aquamarine, you know. Um, so, I mean, what, whatever you say, you know they're going to say something different. So it's just so they can have that, that satisfaction. Or, or this one-upmanship that, that some people uh, play with you. You know, you're talking about politics. You know, you like, make this point. And, and it's, you know, you feel like it's, it's an insightful point. And, and they'll be like, oh, but it's even more than that. It's even more, they, they, they're not able to say, I agree with you. You made a good point. 
because they've got to outdo you in what you've just said. And, I mean, sadly, I mean, if, if, we, if we walk a, a, around in the neighborhoods in, in the United States of America, how many homes will we find where, as you're walking by, you hear these words of dispute issuing from the homes? The children are, are absolutely miserable because their, their parents are, are arguing again. The parents have reached a situation where they're, they're willing to sacrifice the happiness of their family in order to attain this cheap vainglory that they get from showing up their spouse. Somehow, they think that marriage is a competition, and they will prove that they're better than their spouse. They're always trying to score these points. I just showed you that, that my family is better than your family or that I'm more virtuous than you are, and so I get to have this certain ascendancy over the other. They don't realize that marriage is not a competition. It's a cooperation. The two are supposed to work together for that mutual goal of attaining heaven. Both husband and wife, they want the last word, and so the argument never ends. Um, they're, they're getting rid of this goal of attaining mutual love so that they can accompany one another and support one another for the attainment of heaven in order to achieve that cheap glory. That cheap glory, to be able to say that they were right or to score points against their spouse, it becomes more important than the common good of the family. As I say, perhaps they're arguing about who's, who's better. Or perhaps they're arguing about which picture should be hung on the wall. Or um, should we go out to eat tonight or should we not go out to eat? Or um, do you think the wildfires are worse this year than they have been in, last, in past years? You know, any manner of subjects can be a source of argumentation. And whether the wildfires are the same or not, it's the fire of passion and the flame of contention that continues year after year and often couples do not take the measures necessary to contain those flames. This is why St. Saint, Saint James, when he's, when he's speaking about sins of the tongue, he says words that would singe our eyebrows. Um, I, I don't know if I would use these words when speaking about sins of the tongue. Here's, here's what he says. He says, the tongue sets on fire the course of our life being itself set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And like St. Paul, he just rails against this sin of contention. He mentions the word contention. If you have contentions in your heart, do not glory. This is not the wisdom that descends from above. It is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where there is envy and contentiousness, there is instability in every wicked deed. I don't think I can find such an unequivocal condemnation of a sin as that. So my dear faithful, the most important effort that we have to make in this life is to walk worthy of the vocation to which we have been called, this vocation to live the life of Christ in ourselves, and also in our relationships with one another. I think that most of us, we argue too often, we argue too easily, and we argue too passionately, 
talking about things that are trivial and should just be left aside because we care more about cheap glory than the example of Christ. St. Paul, in his epistles, is so often the case. He provides a remedy, and it's just this so elevated supernatural remedy to very ordinary human problems. And, and this is that we see, we always keep in mind the big picture. What am I doing in this life? What, what is my purpose? Who am I? I am a Catholic. I have, God willing, the, the life of Christ dwelling within me, the life of God that is to spring up into eternal life. Who are these people around me? They are my own family members. They also possess the life of Christ. We are together on this earth in order to journey towards eternal happiness. How should I treat them? How should I interact with them seeing that Christ dwells within them? This is what St. Paul wants us to do, to try to shape this mentality in ourselves and then act accordingly. We have to be careful, he says, careful to support one another in charity, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Blessed, very blessed are those families who live in this Christ-like way, and they sacrifice everything, not to get their way or promote their opinion or score points over somebody else, but to strengthen that bond of their charity in Christ because they know where they're going and they want to take with them as many as possible to that heavenly goal. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.